0: What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today we're looking at The Changeling and at how its take on horror is both simple and meaningful. The Changeling, the one from 1980 with George C. Scott and Trish Vandiver, is a ghost story. It's about a man, John, whose wife and child are killed in a car accident, and in his grief he leaves the home he had shared with them and moves to Seattle. He's a musician, a noted composer, who gets a job teaching music theory at the university and rents an absolutely huge house on a pretty big property. Well, they call it a house, but it's a mansion, three stories and an attic and, I assume, a basement, Yet, somehow it seems to only have two bathrooms. I could be miscounting. I should watch it again and pay closer attention, but I'm pretty sure it only has two bathrooms. I guess it was built during simpler times. The movie was also built during simpler times. The effects are entirely practical. There's not even a transparent ghostie brought to us through the magic of trick photography. A lot of the eeriness is conveyed through the dramatic score, but the bulk of it is presented through the use of in-story sound. After John moves in, he begins experiencing paranormal phenomena. He hears doors swinging open, but no one is there. He hears a rhythmic banging, an extremely loud banging, every morning that goes on for about a minute and then stops. He hears the running of water in other rooms and the sort of gurgling someone might make if they were playing in a pool. He's also being teased with a bouncy ball that had been his daughter's. Some entity keeps picking it up and bouncing it down the stairs. The sound of the bouncing is what dominates the scene rather than the image of the ball itself. And when John, in his search for answers, stumbles onto a boarded-up room in the attic, He finds a music box whose tune becomes so significant that it's almost a character itself. The audience hears the manipulation of the dramatic score with the subtle additions of what might be a sigh. We also hear the mischievous entity plinking on the piano after John has left the music room. But so much of what we hear in the film is also heard by the people in the film, the music box, the bouncing ball, the running water but also John's music that he's composing and the things he captures on his reel-to-reel recorder. Ordinarily, his reel-to-reel is just to play back his composing sessions, but after a seance during which the only paranormal things that happen are an automatic writer and her assistant telling the others what she's heard and a glass centerpiece flying off the table into the wall, John plays back the recording he had made of the evening's events. This is where the sound gets really interesting, as we hear a little boy's voice explaining that he is Joseph Carmichael and that he was killed in the house. A lot of people who've never seen the changeling have seen an iconic image from the original trailer, the image of an antique wheelchair chasing poor Trish Vanderveer through the mansion. There's no spectral being in the wheelchair, no shadowy figure pushing it. It's just the chair chasing her probably pulled by a string off-camera. Seriously practical effects, done flawlessly. Outside of this and the glass centerpiece of the seance, the only other dramatic effect is the breaking of a mirror while John stares into it. The only trick photography is the image of a boy floating up out of a pool of water, superimposed with the bedroom floor under which the pool of water is supposed to be. This ghost story is truly from a simpler time. But in fact, a lot of the horror conventions that we've grown so used to seeing now stemmed from this early very successful example. The ways it builds suspense through an unidentified sigh, a slowly opening door with no one behind it, a series of sounds that are startling but mean nothing out of context, an image of a person in a bathtub when you know no one's really in there. The story spends a lot more time dealing with John and his grief than then with John and his paranormal experiences than it does with little Joseph Carmichael, but the collection of clues leading John to Joseph are given in such a way that we're both afraid to see the next thing and eager to know what's going on, and once we reach the end of the film, we feel as though it was really about Joseph Carmichael all along. Who now would be frightened by a ball bouncing downstairs or by an automatic writer scribbling on a pad of paper? Why would piano music or running water be a scary sound like ever? Chairs moving by themselves is one of the easiest things to fake on a ghost-hunting show. An effect like that isn't unexpected or extreme. At best, it might be startling, but only at the beginning. If the chair in a ghost-hunting show started moving a lot and chasing someone, we might even find it a bit comical. Yet in the changeling, these things are used in such a way that we're never not waiting for something to happen. We're never confused about whether or not that something is paranormal. We're also never sure what we're about to see or hear. Compared to today's sensibilities, the dramatic score is a bit, well, dramatic but it perfectly matches the events in the film and sets a tone that even when we do think, gosh, that's a bit overblown on the sinister orchestra there, buddy, we're also primed to receive the next scene, the next paranormal occurrence, the next clue. Let's talk about the acting. Sometimes when you watch an older movie, the acting isn't what you've come to expect, It seems heavy-handed, or stilted, or just a little different from the way people actually talk. But the changeling doesn't feel heavy-handed. The characters say and do things that regular people would say and do. In fact, because the film is about John's grief for so long, it doesn't even feel as much like a horror movie as, say, Poltergeist or La Llorona do. So when stuff starts happening, it feels a bit more real a bit more the way it would feel if weird stuff started happening on our way to work. And the acting in The Changeling both supports and reflects that. John wanders his massive rented house, plinking away at half-hearted compositions, grieving his family. And then, into the middle of that perfectly ordinary sad sort of life, suddenly comes this loud banging. Just so much loud banging. He responds to it the way any of us would. Not the way we've seen people do in other horror films, but the way we would if it were happening to us. If it were happening for real. The seance, the ghost boy floating just below the floor, the sound of running water from some hidden part of the house, the bouncy ball. The characters experience these things as though the actors were experiencing them. No stock behaviors, no melodramatic close-ups of screaming. Nothing designed to make the characters look cool or interesting or vulnerable or anything. Just realistic. Just like we would do, if it were real. Then we get to the iconic scene with the wheelchair. Trish Vanderveer plays the hell out of this scene. I've said a couple of times here that the characters respond the way we would if these strange things happened in real life. But to be honest... The vast majority of us have no idea what it feels like to go through things like that. We can only imagine. But whatever we might imagine we would feel or do or say if a wheelchair started chasing us through the house, Trish embodies this. Watching her, we're not just startled by the wheelchair ourselves. We're scared for her because she looks scared. She gets away from the wheelchair, she's absolutely hysterical from fear and adrenaline, and then John comes up behind her and touches her. Her reaction to him surprising her like this is as genuine a reaction as a person can have. If a horror movie has ever been able to make the audience feel like the events are real, the changeling definitely does. But the feeling that it's real isn't just about the scary stuff. When a man loses his family, that's something we can all understand. We don't have to experience it for ourselves to know how badly it must hurt. We also don't have any trouble feeling compassion for a little boy who was brutally murdered. We want to figure out the mystery as much as John does, and we're as angry at Joseph's killer as John is. The more we learn about what happened to Joseph, the more we feel for the poor little guy. And even though we see a lot more creepy things, we aren't as worried that something's going to hurt John. That's one of the reasons it's so alarming to see the wheelchair chasing Claire, Trish's character, because we had sort of thought that Joseph wasn't interested in hurting the people who were helping him. But even though Joseph gets a little cranky at the end, pushing everything he's got into the physical world in hopes of avenging his own death, we've been hoping he would be avenged. We understand why he's been so angry. We want to see him, really see him, and acknowledge what he's been through, and punish the ones who've hurt him. We want that for Joseph because he's as real to us as the living humans in the story. We believe in the story because the horror aspects were given to us, not in a dramatic or intense way, but in a way that we could access as easily as if we were sitting next to John ourselves. Does this make The Changeling a really well-crafted and engaging movie? Of course. But that's not all. In The Changeling, we feel compassion, not just for the main characters, but also for the one who seems at first to be the antagonist. Joseph is asking for help the only way he knows how, by lashing out, by shouting, by throwing things and being angry. He's a child. He reaches out to John because he recognizes John's pain. Because all Joseph has is pain. His actions frighten John and Claire, and the audience too. But we find ourselves enduring the weird stuff because we understand something about the one doing the weird. We don't see him as an anti-hero or an interesting bad guy. We actually just like Joseph and want him to be happy. When we give ourselves the chance to learn about him and understand why he's doing what he's doing, we realize he's the good guy. At the end of a film that has very skillfully made the audience feel as though the horror is real, we find ourselves willing to question that horror. We're willing to endure that horror to get to the truth. We can see beyond the thing that scares us to the thing that needs our help we can put our fears aside and figure out where the real dangers lie and maybe even fix what's been broken. At the end of a film that convinces us a bouncing ball is scary, we're also somehow convinced that there's nothing to be scared of at all. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week, and that things go your way, and if you get a chance, watch a movie.